I believe that someone can sell their soul, not in the traditional sense, maybe more like a trade. You give up more than half of your life, your soul or essence in exchange for fame, money or power. We have talked about some bizarre things on this podcast, but nothing holds a candle to some real life connections to demons, the devil or an inferior God. Last episode, we touched briefly upon Crossroads and the 27 Club, young actors who all died at the same age after an instant rise in fame. There are so many other curses that we can talk about, like that of the Kennedy family. They've seen tragedy, death, and misery since their rise to power, and it makes me wonder. To fully understand, well, to put it bluntly, what the fuck is going on here, we need to go back to the beginning, back to the era of the Greek Empire. Their folklore and mythos might hold some answers. Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Haunted Detective Podcast. I'm your favorite host and paranormal believer, huh? the Miss Pamela J. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Well, um, and I am, well, they call me the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. You don't say it right. I'm taking my name back. I'm the Haunted <laughs> Detective, but everyone calls me <laughs> the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. And with me is your bestie for the restie, Pamela J. I expel thee with the power of best friend. (laughs) Well, bestie Kelsey, what are we getting into today? Without further ado, let's open the case file on today's episode of Demonology. Last episode, we briefly touched upon what demonology is and why it's a point of study. It's important to delve past the surface and our present-day understandings of the topic to really grasp what the full meaning is. First, what is a demon? Some people over the centuries have believed that spirits control the annals of the universe. Basically, these higher beings are present in everything we do and experience. They are guardians, so to say. Some of these entities, depending on the society's traditional fate, if not all, I guess, are, well, evil. They have a tendency, if you catch my drift. But in some cultures, demons aren't necessarily all bad. In Korean mythology, they have a trickster spirit called the Dokobi, who are occasionally helpful. And in Greek mythology, there are the Eudaemons, who are guardians. They were the middleman between the gods and the humans. All in all, it's what creates balance in most religions, which I know we briefly touched upon last week. In the 16th and 17th century, the belief in demons was a big part of society. Medieval culture based it on St. Augustine, who in the 3 to 400s believed that demons and humans' interactions were solely transactional. So they used them for a service. Basically, it was more of like a mutually beneficial transaction. Oh, all right. So you give me your soul, I give you food so you don't... Damn. Die in the plague and the famine. You know it's bad when you have to get a demon's help, you know? Right. (laughs) I'm about there right now. I mean, what? Mm, Wiki how to summon a demon for hypothetical purposes. Is there a wiki how page on that? Fucking probably. Oh my God. How to summon a demon a step by step. Oh my God. We should totally try it. Things you should know. I have it pulled up too. Okay, wait. (laughs) Method one. (laughs) Choosing your demon. Summon mammon for wealth and financial success. Two, 
Summon Fergus for power or enlightenment. Three, summon Bjor for good health. Two, summoning the demon. Choose something specific to ask the demon for. Many Western occultists are drawn to satanic rituals. Some religions don't view demons as true. What the fuck? Two, find a quiet place where no one will disturb you. Step number five says bind the demon to the mortal world. Damn. Trap that (laughs) bitch as soon as he gets here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, we need to know in the comments if... Or on our Instagram, if you want us to actually... Do you want us to summon a demon together with Bestie Kelsey and Bestie Pamela? If there's a wiki how for summoning a demon, and it literally tells you to trap it here, it just wants the world to be haunted. It wants you. It's praying for your disaster. (laughs) Wiki wants everyone's downfall. Anywho, Pamela, it's your favorite Mm -hmm. or favorite topic. Greek mythology. Oh my god, I've been obsessed with the Greek mythology since I was a kid. Same. First, there was chaos. The deity whose nothingness was so vast that it stretched across the universe, giving way to no light. Then there was a shift. Out of the darkness came three divine beings, Gaia, Tartarus, and Eros. Earth, the underworld, and love. The blanket of darkness gave way to creation, The four of them birthed the world as we know it, taking careful consideration to shape and mold everything to their desires. Soon, chaos would give birth to Erebus, darkness, and Nyx, night. In the most unconventional of times, Erebus and Nyx had two children, Aether, the very air and essence the gods breathed that filled basically everything, and Himera, day. But Nyx, as feared as she was, also had other children. Fate, doom, death, sleep, dreams, old age, pain, revenge, strife, deceit, sex, and pleasure, and blame. Oh, is that all? And the daughters of the evening, Hesperides. Oh, that's a cool name. Do you want their Greek names? Obviously. Moros, Care, Thanatos, Hypno, Oniroi, 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 Geras, Oises, Nemesis, Eris, Apate, Philades, Momos, and as I said, Hesperides. Gaia, who birthed Uranus, the sky, also married him. Their children were the Cyclops, Hecatonchires, which I apologize if that's butchered, and the Twelve Titans. But Uranus did not care for his children. In fact, he hated them. He banished them to hidden places in the earth, also known as Gaia's womb. Gaia, understandably, was not pleased with this, and she made a grand weapon shaped like a sickle called a harp to help her children fight back. But... Only one was brave enough, the youngest titan, Cronus. He trapped Uranus, castrated him with the sickle, and threw his Ooh. private parts into the sea. Here's the fun part. Oh my god. When his genitals fell into the ocean, the sea foam rose and created Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual desire and beauty. Oh, okay. What a way to be born. Yeah, that's, a, that's one hell of a way. No one knows where he went or what happened to him. Did he die or did he surrender? It's unclear. Cronus was now the ruler, and he trapped his aforementioned siblings, but one remained. Yep, more incest. He married his sister Rhea, who was also a titan, and his sister. It wouldn't be Greek mythology without incest. True. (laughs) Together they had five children, but along comes a prophecy that Cronus would lose his rule to one of his sons. Because of this, and his greed, he treated his children terribly. He actually um, swallowed his kids to imprison them. 
That's great. Lovely. <laughs> Raya. Thanks, Dad. Raya now horrified by how he treated their children planned to destroy him. Like mother, like daughter. When their sixth child came, Raya hid him away on an island with nymphs. When it came time for Cronus to swallow his newborn son, he was unaware that Rhea had swaddled a rock instead. The child, hidden with the nymphs Adrastia, Ida, and Almathia, was Zeus. He grew into a young man and plotted with the titan of wisdom, Metis, on how to destroy his father. He gave him a potion disguised as his favorite wine, one that was meant to make him vomit for eternity. I don't know about you, but that's a little extra... Jesus Christ, make me vomit for all of eternity? Yep. I hate puking. Zeus was able to disguise himself as a servant of Cronus and gave him the wine. Up came his five siblings, Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon. They then knew that Zeus was their leader. He had rescued them. Together, the six young gods waged a war against Cronus and the other titans. Atlas would command the Titans' armies, and they saw much success under his reign. Eventually, the younger gods bested their elders and took control of everything. The Titans were banished to Tartarus, save Atlas, who had led their armies. He was forced to hold the universe on his shoulders for all of eternity. I like that they just create the worst fucking sentences. They 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 create the worst punishments. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> it's just it's sentences, and they just add all of eternity like on the end of it they're like you will vomit for all of eternity you will push a rock up this hill for, for all, all of eternity, eternity. <laughs> <laughs> it's like damn dude through all of this cluster fucking around because there's no other way to say it <laughs> there were other divine beings created they were lesser deities and like other examples we discussed they weren't necessarily evil they were just beings that were less powerful than the gods, but more so than mortals. The philosopher Homer actually described demon as the activity of a god, aka a supernatural presence, action, or intervention. It was also referred to as the force that decides a person's fate. But with that being said, there were still monsters comparative to our modern day demons, legendary creatures who even challenged the might of the gods. As we know, history and fable doesn't just borrow from one instance or story. Everything is a multifaceted book of knowledge that has derived from a million other things. In this case, we have evil creatures and lesser gods, the latter known as demons. Now we got demons. In every sense of the word, we have demons, but we also have demons. D-A-E-M-O-N-S, which is the derivative for the word demon. First, let's briefly discuss the father of monsters, Typhon. Typhon was born to Gaia and supposedly Tartarus after Zeus and his siblings defeated the Titans. Apollodorus, a mythographer in the 1st and 2nd century AD, also says that he was born out of the anger of his mother, who mourned her children, the giants, and their defeat by the gods. Out of her anger and rage grew a horrendously ugly and evil child, he was ginormous with huge wings. In fact, he was so big that the top of his head touched the stars. Jeez. The upper half of his body was human with fire coming from his eyes, while the bottom resembled that of many snakes, the tails of snakes. So he had like snake legs. Yeah. Ew. He just, was he standing on them or is he just slithering <laughs> around? I'm a silly little snake. I'm a snakey snake. I'm a silly little snakey snake. He is described as having a serpentine-like nature. 
well, when you're made of snake tails, I think that you might have that vibe about you. <laughs> I think it was his demeanor, the way he spoke, the actions he took, because other accounts and writings of him say that out of his mouth came poison and bristles. He spoke with many voices and sounds that were terrifying to all who heard him. He married Echidna, a half-woman, half-snake monster, who gave him monstrous children, including the mighty Hydra that Hercules defeated. Oh, I know what a Hydra is. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Thank you, Disney. Thank you, Disney. I will go the distance. One of those children would come to be known as Cerberus, the guardian of the underworld, a dog with many heads who had a nasty bite stopping anyone from entering or exiting hell. This is where we start to see some parallels between modern-day demonology and the creation of demons. Cerberus, in all manners of speaking, was a hellhound. Hellhounds don't just appear in Greek mythology, although Cerberus may be one of the earliest examples of the demon dog who guards hell and demons. But it's interesting that all cultures seem to have a story about one. It just makes you wonder what the truth is and if the Greeks spoke to any accuracy in their mythos. I wonder if maybe they thought wolves were dogs at some point, because wolves, definitely wild wolves, could have been seen as maybe demonic to them because they were wild animals. That's, I mean, that's just what I think. I mean, it seems as though every ancient culture kind of, I don't know, worshipped them in a sense. So I don't think they would have been scared of them. I mean, I know the Romans are a completely different opposing empire, but just look at Romulus and Remus, you know? That's true. I wonder if maybe there was almost like attack dogs being used at that time. So maybe they thought evil people had attack dogs. I mean, I really don't know. That's the only way I could think of like a hellhound would be just an evil dog, right? So this next story is going to be interesting to you because I, there's not much room for speculation here. You'll find speculation, but to me personally, there's not much room for it. Okay. Speaking of speculation, there is a lot surrounding a series of tabloid articles published based on the accounts of military men during World War I. Some may call it fiction, others will say it could stand as proof for the existence of hellhounds, real or um, man-made in a lab, and we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> don't ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> These writings struck fear in the hearts of many men and women, and so here's how it goes. So, there was a metaphorical space called no man's land. The term itself comes from the Middle English word no man's land, which I'm pretty sure I pronounced that correctly, which is defined as a piece of ground outside the North Wall of London formerly used as a place of execution. In the case of the First World War, it was actually the land between trenches. It was a dangerous open space where one could step on landmines, get destroyed by machine guns, or run into barbed wire. Basically, it was not a place you wanted to be. In 1920, Lieutenant Colonel Beeman, who was in the British Army, wrote a memoir of his time fighting in the war. It begins in 1918, Northern France, where the most brutal battles were fought. He claims that German prisoners would just vanish into the ground. One second they were standing there, the next the earth had just swallowed them whole. He was going to send a search party into the abandoned trenches to find the missing men, but was warned against it because, quote, deserters 
lived among the maze like Battlefield, they were also known as wild men who, quote, lived underground like ghouls among the moldering dead and who came out at night to plunder and to kill. But that wasn't the only thing to be feared out there. There were reports of wild and demonically evil dogs. It's almost described as though these wild men rose from the depths of hell with the chorus of ghostly dog howls and snarls to reclaim prisoners and soldiers, thus sentencing them to death. Well, I mean, that would be a really good reason to not go out. Like, that would be a great story if you didn't want people to go out at that time. Like, rather it being true, it's more of just like, here's a story, don't go outside. Like, here's some fear to put in you so you don't disobey what I just said. Pamela's logic is, have you tried not doing that? Have you just tried, like, not? Thank you so much. But the thing is, is that they witnessed things, too. It wasn't just hearsay. It was him having weird experiences in No Man's Land. So he's actually seen these, like, demonic men and dogs? He's heard them, and he's heard the dogs, and he's also seen prisoners that they had. Dozens of them just, poof, vanish. Okay. So there's th- there's nothing left of these people when they're when they get taken, quote unquote taken, right? Yeah, they're never found. But again, the battlefield, like I said, is it's it's a fucking labyrinth. Yeah, I mean, especially trench warfare, it's insane. But this is only the first example of these wild myths. As I mentioned before, there were articles published that went more into the lore behind these dogs. The Hound of Mons, that's what they called it. On November 14th, 1914, men from the Royal Fusiliers, an infantry sect from the British Army, were patrolling no man's land before they vanished. The men were found days later, or shall I say, what was left of them. They had been dragged and torn at, claw and teeth marks ripping and tearing at their flesh. Like, when I say dragged, I mean miles. Oh, ow. Jeez Louise. Not by a car or a vehicle. I don't think they drove vehicles into no man's land because of the landmines. They just had to walk there. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I wouldn't. That's ill-advised. I am not an expert on war. (laughs) Don't take my word for that. No, No regular dog, wild or not, could have done this. Here's where things get interesting. A few nights later, an ominous howl was heard from no man's land. For years, the Hound of Mons terrorized it, leaving a lasting stain on the battlefield. Many witnesses described it as wraith-like, a giant ghostly gray specter that ran through obstacles and not around it. Now, here's where we loop back to the memoir I mentioned. The original article that wrote about this demonic dog was written by a veteran from Canada, F.J. Newhouse. He said that this wasn't a typical demon. It was the product of an experiment done by German scientists Dr. Gottlieb Hoschmuller. Ah, here we go with the experiment. He was trying to develop a weapon that could win the war for Germany. He searched through asylums and found a man who had such a deep hatred for England that he went insane. The doctor took this man back to his lab and removed his brain. He put it into a Siberian wolfhound. They removed his fucking brain? This is all, um, theory. Oh my god. I'm going to emphasize its theory. So they it, the theory says that they removed his brain and they put it into a, a dog? A Siberian wolfhound, yeah. Oh, a Siberian wolfhound. Which is a dog. The dog lived and grew in power, strength, and disdain. The same hatred that the man had. Once evolved enough, because I don't know any other fucking word to what use. What the fuck? Other than evolved, it's like a fucking Pokemon. <laughs> 
Dr. Hoshmuller let the dog loose on the battlefield. Let the human brain Siberian wolfhound uh, into the trenches. It's a werewolf! And it, yeah, I mean, technically, I guess it's not half human, half wolf, but it kind of is because its brain is a human, theoretically. There is much speculation to these articles and claims, some going as far as to say that some people listed in the stories were fake and made up, but I couldn't find any verification on anything. I don't know anyone who would be willing to say that they knew for a fact that a human brain was put into a Siberian wolfhound and that same wolfhound was released onto the battlefield and just wreaked havoc. But I've been surprised before. It seems as though um, Dr. Hoshmuller is only Googleable as per these articles. The doctor's real, right? I believe so, because there's a picture of him. Let's tie everything together now. We have a few main themes so far. Black dogs associated with death and the devil, demons and their association with non-evil entities, but the assumption that their communications with humans were purely contractual. Greek mythology and the beginning of the known classification of demons. And I would like to add, just to backtrack a second, in Greek mythology, there is a goddess named Hecate. She's popularly known as the goddess of magic, birth, but the interesting thing is that she's associated with black dogs and therefore death. Why, why do black dogs get such a bad rap? Black cats do too. I know. It makes me so sad. I'm like, damn, fuck you guys. They're cute, cute little beans. She was actually the goddess who saw what happened to Persephone as she was taken to the underworld by Hades. She went to the gates of hell with Demeter, Persephone's mom, to help her search. Idols and pillars of her called Hecatatia. I just totally butchered that, were placed at crossroads and in doorways for a few reasons, one of which were to keep evil spirits at bay. This is because, much like doorways, crossroads are widely seen as gateways or portals to the other side or to other worlds. Funny how it all connects, huh? A little bit. A little bit. But portals can also be like trees. Have you seen that? Where the trees are like in a V shape? And they, some of them are like, if they're full of energy or something of that sort, they can be a portal and like two mirrors are across from each other. It can create like a portal or a vortex. I think the tree thing is Celtic or Gaelic. Oh, is it? I, I believe so, because from my understanding, that is associated with going into the Fey realm. Oh, I did not know that. I believe. I could be wrong. But crossroads are, are very different. It's a common theme among many different cultures. Interesting. I wonder, since it's a common theme, I wonder if there's any truth behind it. Mm. Wait, mm. you took my question. The fuck? Oh, I did? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, if it's a common theme, I wonder if there's any truth behind it. Wow. It's crazy. I came up with that question all by myself. That's a really good question. Yeah, I know, That's right? Really I came up with it by myself. Yeah, you're really smart. Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> A common trope among those who fear hell's wrath and the touch of a demon is that of an exorcist, or shall I say exorcisms. Throughout history, we can see this trend repeating consistently and rather commonly in some cultures, especially in Italy. For those of you who are curious, these devil or demon banishments actually happen in real life and have been the cause of much controversy. These practices can be seen as early as Mesopotamian times, with people known as the Asipu, and if you have a correction on how to pronounce it, please let me know because I couldn't find anything. These were priests who were experts in good magic and the art of diagnosing and fighting evil through rituals, incantations, and spells. 
The word roughly translates to our modern day term for exorcist. So were they part of the Catholic religion or was this separate? No, this was Mesopotamia. Oh, that's right. So the Catholic priests just kind of took this over then. Well, there are a lot of other examples too. In the Tanakh, a Hebrew Bible with scriptures from the Torah, Nevi'im, and Kituvim, there was a man named Eleazar. During the Exodus, when the Jewish people traversed the wilds, he was responsible for the oil, which for those of you who know Hanukkah, it's, you know, this oil burned for a really long time and it saved their life, yada, yada, yada. He was an important person. He had an important job, but that wasn't the only thing he was known for. Outside of the religious texts, he was written about by a historian in the first century AD to have been an exorcist. Oh, so was he called to people? Like, did people call him or not call him, but like reach out to him and be like, hey, my loved one is exhibiting signs of possession. Like, can you come over really quick? It's unclear. What I do know is that he drew demons out of people by breathing them in through his nostrils and speaking the name of King Solomon. I'm sorry, was he sniffing these people, like, intensely? And then the essence of the demon would go into his nostrils and then he would banish them back to hell by speaking King Solomon, like, you know? Like, whatever the thing was. Normal days, normal stuff. Okay, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. (laughs) Okay, so that was the earliest form. Uh, I would say the Mesopotamians were. These are just two very good examples. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Initially, the Catholics assumed that people who practiced paganism were possessed and that they required saving. By the 4th century AD, baptisms became a common tool used to exorcise the evil of the devil out of people. But people would have to go through smaller exorcisms every day leading up to it. This belief in banishing evil grew like a plague and took on many shapes and forms. Some believed that just by putting their hands on someone who was possessed while commanding the entity to leave worked. Others during the Middle Ages believed that they could exorcise themselves by calling upon a saint for aid and getting closer to God. By the 12th century and the glory of the medieval times, sarcasm. This belief changed dramatically. This is when demonology became a widespread knowledge point thanks to St. Thomas Aquinas. He actually took the words of Greek philosopher Aristotle and expanded on them, thus merging a Greek thinker's words into Christian belief. He was by all means of the word a theologist and father of thought in the medieval world. He went on to define a demon as a sinning angel, also known to us as fallen angels. By 1400 AD, the first book on exorcisms would be published and the right of an exorcism was officially recognized and sanctioned by the Catholic Church. You know, I find it interesting the language, not language change, but the, so he said a sinning angel and then it was changed to or I guess recognized as something different as the fallen angel. But personally, I think those mean two different things. So when I hear a sinning angel, I hear like a current angel who still is an angel just doing bad things. Mm -hmm. And then fallen angel to me sounds like he's he or she, whatever, is no longer an angel and is now a demon. Fallen angels, and I only know this because I love fantasy novels so much and when the whole like (laughs) Nephilim thing was going around. Uh, the half human, half angel. Fallen angels Mm -hmm. are technically the angels that followed Lucifer. 
and defended him and then were banished to hell with him and they became our understanding of demons. Okay, gotcha. But you're right, it is a very different thing. I mean, in terms of the way the words present themselves. Right, just at face value, that's what I took away from it. That one, the an angel that sins made it more humanistic almost. Like a person is, like then you can get into the theology of like, are we born evil? Mm. <laughs> but that's what it reminded me of. But anyway... As we already know, the obsession with purging evil and demons from one's body did not stop there. The practice in the Bible community grew rampant, especially with the Vatican. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. Oh my God, the Vatican. In 2018, 250 priests went to Rome to learn how to exercise and identify demonic possessions. This course isn't a first of its kind though. It started in 2005 and has grown exponentially since then. Unsurprisingly, the Vatican even has specific priests that they pay to perform exorcisms. Father Gabriel Amorth was one of the more proficient exorcists in the Vatican, and he claims to have performed well over 160,000 of them in his close to 65 years as a priest before he passed away in 2016. Good lord, that's a lot of exorcisms. Yeah. In 2021, a young woman in northern Italy became randomly violent while in confessions and started using insults in different languages, including Latin. She had been to an exorcist in Verona before her parents brought her to the St. Mary of Mount Berisho Church. And when I say parents, I mean her mother. Her dad thought that she needed to see a psychiatrist. That's fair. I can see the dad's point of view on that one. <laughs> Same. <laughs> like, no offense, but <laughs> I can see why he'd be like, maybe we should take her to a psychiatrist. I don't know. The priest, Father Carlo Maria Rosado, said that her body started convulsing before she started screaming in Latin. They then performed a nine-hour exorcism on her, barring the doors of the church and ushering patrons out to the street, where some stayed to pray for her. After all was said and done, she fell asleep and could not be woken up for a while, as in, like, she, she like, slept for the night. So, not, like, a coma. Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean. she, just, she just took a very nice nap. Yep. The priest believed that this was a common sign of a successful exorcism. Even with all of this proof, the Vatican still adamantly denies a lot of the exorcisms that they fund. But there was one thing that we know. They sure do have a lot of secrets and bizarre hidden practices unbeknownst to the public. They are weird over there. And this is not a knock at Christianity or Catholicism or anyone that worships the Bible. It's just the Vatican is shady. No, this is just a, a knock at the Vatican. This is a knock at them. A hard knock. The hell are you guys doing? I believe that they have a lot of religious texts and artifacts from different religions like Judaism, uh, from Muslims, hidden away in their basement. That's one thing that I heard, but we'll get into that. Oh, dear God. I'm sure there's a lot hidden in their basement. One of the most bizarre stories has to be that of Pope Formosus, specifically what happened after he died. In 897, the Pope's corpse was taken from his grave after he was laid to rest just a few months prior, and the new Pope, Stephen, had put him on trial. How petty do you have to be to dig up a dead man and put him on trial? How petty do you have to be, Pope Stephen? Okay, so he, they dug him up, but what the hell was he on trial for? Well, so let's get a little bit into the meat of it. So, uh, no pun intended, the body was dug up, dressed in his religious robes and put on the throne. 
a deacon was appointed as the spokesman for the dead pope. While he was accused of perjury and many other things that are not specified, he obviously had nothing to say in return. He was dead. (laughs) That's so awful. Like, I mean, I'm not defending this pope because I don't know what he did or anything, but like, he's dead. Why did you have to dig him up? Everyone knows that he's dead. Did you have to provide proof? So the historian George Ives said, quote, The old man's body, like a monstrous doll, might nod and bend while the attendants supported it, or collapse in a ghastly bundle if they left it alone. But it made no sound, and the deacon would probably be wary in his defense, for there were dark holes nearby other than the speculatures. While the trial was ongoing, there happened to be a giant earthquake, which was then dubbed a sign from God, which, what is, what are the odds? Literally, you have a dead man on trial, and you're being petty, thank you, Pope Steve, and then an earthquake happens. Oh my God. What bigger sign of like, hey, you're being a douchebag right now, do you need? That's the biggest sign I think I've ever heard of. Pope Formosus was found guilty, and the acts he took as Pope were canceled out. They took off his ornate clothes and robes and replaced them with rags. Three of his fingers were cut off, the ones that were used for blessings, and he was thrown into the Tiber River. How is that even fair? (laughs) He he can't talk. The dude isn't even alive. He's probably just bone. Like, what do you mean? Also, that's not what habeas corpus means, dude. You don't take it literally. Show me the body doesn't mean actually show me the body. It just means evidence. So a nice little side note is that good old Steve was put in prison a few months later and then strangled to death. Oh, no shot. No one saw that coming. Oh, my God. (laughs) You mean petty, petty Pope Steve. Petty Pope Steve. Good God. Yeah, I'm I'm not shocked. He was strangled a couple months later. Oh, petty Pope Steve. Petty, petty Pope Steve. Should we put that on a shirt? (laughs) No, seriously. PPS, Petty Pope Steve. That, seriously, that is the pettiest motherfucker I've ever heard of in my whole life. You, And then you die because you're an asshole later. Uh, you did something else wrong. Like, you dug up this dude. God, I was like, I fucking warned you, man. I sent you that earthquake. You did not listen. I, I fucking told your ass to stop it, and you didn't. And now look at you. You're petty. And two girls are talking about your ass on a podcast because of how petty you were. I just know that that man got reincarnated into an ant or something. <laughs> just, you know, the, the Greek mythology, I bet he was just absolutely punished in the afterlife. They're like, you have to be an ant for all of eternity. And every time you get stepped on, you are just going to be reincarnated as a fucking ant. You petty Pope ass Steve. Pamela, are you taking this personally? Yeah, I'm pissed. <laughs> That's so annoying. She's raging. If I was Pope Formosus, I would be just like, my I would, my ghost would haunt his ass so quick. By the sounds of the case, they didn't have much fucking evidence. Like when you read into it, there's nothing like, this is what was, this is what we considered perjury. Like, wh- like this was the violation that he committed. Like there was none of that. It was just perjury. Like no fucking explanation. So Wikipedia says um, having acceded to the papacy illegally and illegally presiding over more than one diocese at the same time. I mean, if they were able to prove a dead man committed perjury, then maybe he did something that was in writing or I don't even know. Like, oh, he's they're saying that he became pope 
illegally. Oh. But what it really feels like with good old Steve is that Steve didn't like the laws that he made or the precedents that he sent and was like, well, this man wasn't really the Pope. Also, why did he go after him after he was dead? Why didn't you go after him when he was alive? Probably because he had no actual case. Yeah, the thing is, it just, it feels like he wanted Pope Formosus's rulings to be null and void like they became because that's what happens is basically everything that that person does as the pope gets like totally scratched out and it's not erased from history but erased from all the writings and teachings he he had something against Formosus. i wonder if the reason why he had to wait was because he had to wait until he was pope in order to prosecute Pope Formosus. So maybe the reason why Pope Formosus was dead on the stand was because he had to wait in, until he, Steve, was Pope in order to press those charges. But like at the same time, can you not question a Pope while he's still Pope? Apparently he tried to seize the papal throne while he was alive, but he was already Pope. Steve's just a coward. Um, there were other accusations made that he had committed perjury and that he had attempted to exercise the office of bishop as a layman. These are related to the oath Formosus is said to have sworn before the council at Troyes in 878. Okay, so he was in violation of his oath and possibly became pope illegally. And canon law, yeah. Okay. But I don't see how you can become Pope illegally because there's such a tedious process of choosing who the Pope is. Yeah. Maybe he lied about something. Hmm. I mean, if he became Pope illegally, I'm guessing he lied about something while he, like, took the oath or after he took the oath. And Steve knew about that. And so he was like, you know what? Fuck you, Formosus. I'm taking you down, dog. And so when he finally got the chance to, he did. But you took him down when he was dead. Like, <laughs> he couldn't even fight you back on it. If it, not, not to defend good old Steve, but if you think about it, if you really think about it, popes are kind of untouchable. They are pretty untouchable. I mean, any religious figure at the time was untouchable, although it was, it, it is quoted as, you know, being Pope is almost like a death sentence because it was dangerous at the time. It's like, you know, being the president and having to have secret service or right. being a celebrity. Like, in a sense, that is a death sentence, right? It is a dangerous yes. thing to do because you're making laws, you're you're influencing culture, whatever it might be. So it's possible that Formosus was untouchable and Steve was like, hey, buddy, I'm in power now, bitch. I got you. I caught you. I caught you. I mean, yeah, that could have been it too, but I, they don't have much about it. They, there really isn't, there aren't specif like specifications. I mean, there are, you know, you can find what the canon law is. Right. And, you know, part of that is being a heretic, a liar. It's like really any sort of sin, right? Yeah. Is defying the canon law. So it's just, there are so many questions. I'm not, you know, a theologist, but I'm just... It's interesting. There have been a lot of popes accused of crimes. I mean, there's a whole list here. Popes are also seen as men of God. So it's hard 
to most, I mean, I'm guessing that it's probably hard to like push, push an accusation of that sort. So Pope Sergius III, he was Pope from 904 to 911 AD, who killed his predecessors, bribed and threatened bishops, and fathered illegitimate child. That's coming from the Washington Post. Did he get reprimanded? Someone called him a historian named Caesar Baronius, said that he was a monster and basically worthy to be put to death. Yeah. (laughs) And then another one who became Pope when he was 18 in 955 AD. Oh, geez. He was a slut. (laughs) (laughs) The 18-year-old Pope was a hoe. He, He also spent a lot of time creating controversy and, like, tension with other factions. Oh, so he talked shit and dated. And didn't pray enough. Oh, he, okay. (laughs) He actually, he died in 1964 while he was in bed with a woman that was married. You say 19 or 964, 964, sorry. So he died in 964 in bed with a married woman. Uh, they, They don't know how he died. It says a stroke. Stabbed by the woman's husband or thrown out of the window? They have no idea. Depending on which account you believe. So he just raised hell while he was Pope. But like, he just... He was he just had a lot of sex, man. I don't flirty. know. Good for him. He was a flirty dude. So Pope Boniface from 1294 to 1303, he was seen as destined for the eighth circle of hell in Dante's Inferno. Oh. For the sin of simony. Again, this is all coming from the Washington Post. The sin of simony? Selling religious sacraments and holy offices. Oh, he took bribes. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Is anyone shocked? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Pope, Pope Paul, I think this is the eighth, IV. He was Pope from 1555 to 1559. He was a narcissist. Damn. <laughs> he had statues of himself put up like everywhere <laughs> in Rome. He's like, please give me a moment. I need to pray to myself. Thank you so much. Oh, he also took away Michelangelo's pension. What? And started book bannings. Uh, He made begging illegal. (laughs) He also hated Jews. Oh, my God. He confined them to a ghetto and made them wear yellow hats whenever they left and ordered dozens burned at the stake. Okay, so that guy was a grade-A asshole. Wow. Like I said, I'm not shocked by any of these popes. (laughs) Oh my God, he was so hated. Quote from, again, Washington Post, when he died, the celebratory rioters took down many of his statues. Others were mocked with yellow. So they put yellow hats on his statues too. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, he was a jerk. Like he was super fucking awful. There are, there there have been a, like more than a few times where Jewish people have been forced to wear some sort of, you know, other than the Holocaust hat. Um, I just didn't know about this time. That's crazy. Again, this is not to knock anyone's religious beliefs or anything. This is just the Vatican. It's the Vatican. They're full of dark secrets and scary shit. Who's your favorite pope? Mine is the one that had spent his reign having lots of sex. Yeah, I'd have to say the 18-year-old pope is, he was a, a fucking hoot and a holler. The pope that we have right now, again, I'm not uh, of a Bible religion. But he's great. I like him. He's like, he's a real G. 
I know nothing about the current pope. He's very progressive. Oh, that's good. From what I understand. But anyways, uh, I know we mentioned some secrets that the Vatican might have, and we briefly touched upon exorcisms, but I'm sure that you guys have a lot of questions, as do we. What secrets is the Vatican really hiding? And what's happening among their walls? You know, if I were a fly on a wall, I would choose to be that in some secret rooms or offices in the Vatican. Oh, absolutely. There's some fuck shit happening and I need to know about it. I gotta know. Well, anyways, without further ado, next episode, we're going to be talking about the secrets of the Vatican and some more real life examples of exorcisms. So don't miss out. Stay tuned. Remember, we post every single Monday as soon as the clock strikes midnight. Those glass slippers come right off and you have to run to listen to our show. Don't forget that you can find us on TikTok, Haunted underscore Detective, and the Miss Pamela J, and on Instagram, Haunted.Detective, The Kelsey Childs, and Miss Pammy J. Pam, do you want to say the thing about leaving good rating? Oh, yeah. And if you like the show, or if you want to hear something different, or if you have some feedback for us, leave us some comments, either on our Instagram or TikToks, or give us a rating on iTunes. But if you like the show give us a good rating. It helps us and it lets us know that you want to hear more. It it gives us a better chance to bring better and better seasons to you with funding and, you know, bring a Patreon or even do live events because (laughs) that all costs money (laughs) and we're not making any. But yeah, we love you guys. So give us some love back and we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.